loved hearing from Enrip the Fifth, though I wonder what happened to one through four. We don't talk about it. Welcome back to the Merc the Meek podcast. I am your host once again, Enrip the Fifth, even though I sound exactly like Merc the Meek. I just couldn't help myself, and I needed to come out again. Merc the Meek was fighting hard, but I prevailed. And this is my episode. Hey, Merc, just got finished listening to your latest well-done-ing-Kruger effect episode, which is an amazing title for an episode, by the way. I love it. Um, it's the one where everyone's calling in to talk about their thoughts on AD&D and how to make it run well and how to make it run smooth and all that stuff. And yeah, so since everyone threw out their credentials in that episode, I'll throw out my admittedly shabby credentials. I played it only a handful of times in the late 80s, not since then. I've never run it. I've read bits and pieces of the DMG, but those PDFs are brutal on screen readers. But I have heard people read basically all of the DMG. So those are my terrible, terrible credentials. But the one thing that I hear over and over again when people talk about AD&D and it got brought up in every single call was you got to make the game your own. You got to, you know, homebrew stuff you need to. Don't worry about the rules that you don't like. You know, you make the game your own. That's what Gary says over and over in the DMG. Awesome, awesome advice. My thought was what (laughs) dawned on me was once you do that, once you make the game your own, a phrase that is used again and again in the DMG, is it still Gygaxian D&D? It's still D&D. It's still a D&D. I'm not saying you're not playing a different you're playing a different game or anything. You're still playing the same game, but are you playing Gygaxian D&D? Cuz those rules in the DMG that he tells you to ignore, those are Gary's rules. <laughs> That's how Gary plays. So if you're if you're changing some of that, I wonder though, because you know I hear so many people tout Gygaxian D and D in the OSR sphere, and then they also in the same breath talk about how they will homebrew A D and D, and so I just wonder, man, is it still Gygaxian if you change it? If you make it your own, is it still Gygaxian D and D? I don't know. Anyway, dude, peace out. I have a feeling that we have all been under the impression that Make It Your Own is in the DMG for AD&D. We hadn't read it too closely, or maybe people have and just don't care what Gary had to say about playing it rules as written. They just decided, yeah, he's just a guy. We'll play it how we want to play it. Taking his suggestions, of course, but then making them their own, and that's fine. Gary would definitely say you're no longer playing AD&D. The question is, how important is what Gary has to say to you? Do you actually care what Gary thinks about this game? You, as in anyone listening, if what Gary has to say is important, then you're probably going to play AD&D as close to rules as written as possible. If you just think, well, he was one guy designing games amongst many, and... I'll take his suggestions and leave other ones, then go for that. What is Dungeons & Dragons? Is it a particular rule set? 
I mean, we've got many of these particular rule sets that make up Dungeons and Dragons now. Is it a concept, an idea? I mean, we have Google. When you Google something, you search for it. Can you Google something using Bing? So if D&D is just basically a narrative game where you roll dice to resolve conflicts or resolve risky situations, whatever, and that definition is, an, is extremely broad, then anyone who's playing a tabletop role-playing game is playing D&D. But if D&D needs a, to be a particular set of rules, and if you change those rules, well, you're no longer playing D&D, well then, you're not playing D&D. Does this matter? And we're all talking about semantics at this point, aren't we? But it is an interesting question for sure. The whole concept of people playing AD&D rules is written and bragging about it. That attitude really <laughs> grinds my gears, as they say. I mean, otherwise, AD&D is just an, another game. Complex, a lot of meat on the bones, you might say. But that mindset of superiority, it has its roots in the books themselves. But I'm going to back things up for a minute here to give you some stark contrast. AD&D came out 1978 or 9. This is the introduction to the basic book for D&D. This one's in 1981. So just about the same time. While the material in this booklet is referred to as rules, that is not really correct. Anything in this booklet and other D&D booklets, that's interesting, should be thought of as changeable. Anything, that is, that the dungeon master or referee thinks should be changed. This is not to say that everything in this booklet should be discarded. All of this material has been carefully thought out and playtested. However, if, after playing the rules as written for a while, you or your referee, the dungeon master, think that something should be changed, first think about how the changes will affect the game, and then go ahead. The purpose of these quote-unquote rules, is to provide guidelines that enable you to play and have fun, so don't feel absolutely bound to them. Okay, so that is the introduction to basic D&D. It is encouraging you changing the rules, and it also is saying, and other D&D booklets, meaning this has been the tradition, and this should be the tradition moving forward. Let's jump back to the beginning of the tradition. This is from the very first Dungeons & Dragons book, Men & Magic. This is what it says in the introduction here. New details can be added and old laws altered so as to provide continually new and different situations. In addition, the players themselves will interact in such a way as to make the campaign variable and unique, and this is quite desirable. If you are a player purchasing the Dungeons & Dragons rules in order to improve your situation in an existing campaign, you will find that there is a great advantage in knowing what is herein. If your referee has made changes in the rules and or tables, simply note them in pencil, for who knows when some flux of the cosmos will make things shift once again and keep the rules nearby as you play. So not only does OD&D encourage changing the rules, it practically assumes that you will. That is how strong of a homebrew mentality is in the beginnings of D&D. 
the assumption is you will change these things and there's nothing wrong with that. We celebrate it. Not so with AD&D. I referenced this Dragon Magazine article last time, but the proto-idea for that Dungeon Magazine article is within the Dungeon Master's Guide of AD&D. Let's read, shall we? This is in the preface of the DMG. What follows herein is strictly for the eyes of you, the campaign referee. As the creator and ultimate authority in your respective game, this work is written as one dungeon master equal to another. Pronouncements there may be, but they are not from, quote, on high, as respects your game. Dictums are given for the sake of the game only, for if advanced Dungeons and Dragons is to survive and grow, it must have some degree of uniformity. A familiarity of method and procedure from campaign to campaign within the whole. Advanced D&D is more than a framework around which individual DMs construct their respective milieu. It is above all a set of boundaries for all of the worlds devised by referees everywhere. These boundaries are broad and spacious, and there are numerous areas where they are so vague and amorphous as to make them nearly non-existent, but they are there nonetheless. This is where it gets interesting. Now, we have this history of homebrewing the rules, and it almost seems like Gary is saying that when he first starts out with the preface. He's saying that the referee is the ultimate authority in their campaign, and he says these dictums aren't coming from on high, but we need to separate things out here. I think he's deceptively conflating two things here, because he's changing his mind on whether or not you could homebrew the rules, and we'll see that very obviously. But he wants to sound like it's more reasonable. He doesn't want to anger everybody who's been buying Dungeons & Dragons, homebrewing things, modifying things. So he takes this tact. But first off, what's a campaign? It's at least two things. It could be more. I'm just going to address two things here. A campaign is a set of rules we're going to decide how to resolve risky situations or things that aren't obvious. So we need some rules and procedures. The second part is the setting, or as he uses the word milieu, the environment, the cultures, the histories of this imagined world, that type of stuff. If you just have rules, you have a, a very strange board game without any context. You can't really do that. If you only have a setting, well, you, you basically have a novel. You need both. So at first glance, it seems like Gary is saying, hey, the things I'm saying aren't from on high, meaning you don't have to follow them. But what is he talking about? He's talking about your setting. He's not talking about the rules. And we'll clearly see that as time goes on. We're already starting to see it in this preface. He's saying, I'm not going to tell you how to run your setting. You can do that how you want. There's a little bit of contradiction later on. We'll see. But go ahead and do whatever you want with your setting, with your milieu. I'm not going to tell you how to run that. But these rules, these are important, and we got to stick with them. The rules are the boundaries for your campaign setting, your milieu. Some of those boundaries are very thin or very broad, so you should be able to fit things within there that you want, but don't go outside of the rules. Later on in the preface, it says, Returning again to the framework aspect of AD&D, 
What is aimed at is a universe into which similar campaigns and parallel worlds can be placed. With certain uniformity of systems and laws, quote, players will be able to move from one campaign to another and know at least the elemental principles which govern the new milieu. For all milieu will have certain, but not necessarily the same, laws in common. Character races and classes will be nearly the same. Character ability scores will have the identical meaning, or nearly so. Magic spells will function in a certain manner, regardless of which world the player is functioning in. Magic devices will certainly vary, but their principles will be similar. This uniformity will help not only players, it will enable DMs to carry on a meaningful dialogue, an exchange of useful information. It might also eventually lead to grand tournaments, wherein persons from any part of the U.S., or the world for that matter, can compete for accolades. That concept of a unified rule set for tournaments is here from the start within the book. I don't know that much of the history surrounding everything, but it's explicit in the text here. Next paragraph. The danger of a mutable system is that you or your players will go too far in some undesirable direction and end up with a short-lived campaign. Participants will always be pushing for a game which allows them to become stronger and powerful far too quickly. Each will attempt to take the game out of your hands and mold it to his or her own ends. To satisfy this natural desire is to issue a death warrant to a campaign, for it will either be a one-player affair, or the players will desert en masse for something more challenging and equitable. Similarly, you must avoid the tendency to drift into areas foreign to the game as a whole. Such campaigns become so strange as to be no longer AD&D. They are isolated and will usually wither. Variation and difference are desirable, but both should be kept within the boundaries of the overall system. Imaginative and creative addition can most certainly be included. That is why nebulous areas have been built into the game. Keep such individuality in perspective by developing a unique and detailed world based on the rules of AD&D. No two campaigns will ever be the same, but all will have the common ground necessary to maintain the whole as a viable entity about which you and your players can communicate with the many thousands of others who also find sword and sorcery role-playing gaming as an amusing and enjoyable pastime. What he does say right off the bat in that section is the dangers of a mutable system. Well, then, if AD&D is not a mutable system, what is it? The opposite of mutable, of changeable, is immutable, an unchanging system. Don't change the rules. If you change these rules, he's saying, your campaign will either die or be short-lived. If you allow your players to have input into the rules, they're going to want to progress really quick, and it's going to be a boring campaign that withers and dies. I feel like this is fairly presumptuous on Gary's part. How does he know? It seems like Gary might have a toxic group of people that he plays with, and he projects that on the entirety of the gaming community. I think he just needs some different players, maybe? I don't know. He also says you have to avoid your game drifting into areas that are completely foreign to AD&D. So before, it sounds like he's saying you can do what you want with your milieu, but now he's saying don't stretch that milieu too far. And maybe that's what he meant by the boundaries. If you start taking AD&D into space, 
that's a little too far. But once again, he's saying your campaign will die because you do that. He's not saying you're going to have to modify some rules or make things different to accommodate that. He's just saying, no, it's going to die. <laughs> I feel like the success of D&D has gone to Gary's head. And I'll read just a little half paragraph from the introduction. The first part was the preface. Now here it is in the introduction. And while there are no optionals for the major systems of advanced D&D, for uniformity of rules and procedures from game to game, campaign to campaign is stressed. There are plenty of areas where your own creativity and imagination are not bounded by the parameters of the game system. These are sections where only a few hints and suggestions are given, and the rest left to the DM. Okay, Gary's just given us another contradiction here. Once again, just to reiterate, he starts off saying, there are no optionals for the major systems. He says, uniformity is stressed. Once again, immutable, unchangeable, keep the rules the way they are. But he says, there's no optionals for the major systems. And then he says, hints and suggestions are given for some spots, but the rest is left to the DM. So he's been harping on, don't change the rules. The rules should be consistent. We need to have this consistency to transfer characters from campaign to campaign. You're going to destroy your campaign if you change the rules. But then he says, there's going to be some areas that are left up to the DM. Those aren't major areas. Okay, so how do we know what can be changed and what can't be changed? We're leaving that up to everyone's interpretation now. So you want it both ways. Don't change the rules, but make some interpretation. How do we reconcile that? We can't. <laughs> Is the rating system a major part? Is it a minor part? I don't know. But if you're leaving stuff up to interpretation, at one person's table, there's going to be some rulings that happen, thinking, oh, these are just minor parts. Then you take those players and bring them to a tournament, and there's a completely different DM running that table who has completely different interpretations of what's major, what's minor. That leads to some incompatibilities. So Gary says his goal is uniformity, but he's left it up to interpretation. There's a contradiction. I think what he was going for was uniformity. I am the awesome game designer. I know what's right. Don't change my rules. But there's a culture of homebrewing and modification that actually he and Dave Arneson started, but he's full of himself and thinks he knows best doesn't want to tick off his audience. He wants people to still buy these things. So he wants it a little bit of both ways. And he's kind of failing at what he was going for there. But the seeds of this rules as written cult are clearly in AD&D. And people can certainly look here and tout that they're following Gary's wishes here. So there are two reasons to play AD&D Rules as Written. At least this is what Gary says. Reason number one, you poor pitiful purchasers of D&D don't know how to do game design. And if you veer away from the rules, you're going to ruin your own campaign. So you need to leave it up to Gary to know best what's going on at your table. That's reason number one. Reason number two is we need consistency 
in order to be able to transfer characters from game to game or have everybody be able to play the same game at a tournament. But I don't see this as a possible goal. You cannot play rules as written to try to keep everyone conformed and consistent while saying that there's room for interpretation. It doesn't work. I and Rip the Fifth don't care about being clear, but I know Merc the Meek would want me to mention this, so I suppose I will. Maybe he'll let me out more often. Merc the Meek does not mind you playing AD&D as close to rules as written as possible. Want to make that clear again? Knock yourself out. Go do it. Just don't act superior. Or don't act as if it's somehow a moral virtue to play AD&D rules as written and you are somehow better than everyone else because of it. The music from this episode is Takata and Fugue in D minor from Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. License under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. You can find that license at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. Thanks for listening and take care.